Hello everyone, this is David Lane and you are listening to Life in the Pit. This is going to be an improvised episode. I don't have a script in front of me. If you're a brand new listener to Life in the Pit, I'll probably go ahead and say this is not a good first episode to listen to. Um, if you have listened to a few episodes before, you kind of know what the show is about, uh, then this might be a good bonus episode for just a few things. So why am I even putting it out there? Well, for starters, it's been two weeks since the last episode, and unfortunately, I just don't have a regular episode ready to go. Um, I've gotten, I've gone from a place of surplus with guests to, uh, I just need to get some scheduled. There's been just a lot of stuff going on lately, and I have not been able to get an interview recorded. I do have a, a future guest for sure, but it involves a book that he's written, and, and it only makes sense for me to read it first. So that is definitely an episode that will be upcoming. I've got a few other guests I need to talk to, so be assured there there is more regular content coming down the road. But I thought I wanted to put out something today rather than just ignore it. And uh, I'll just start with the first reason. Uh, first of all, this is September 10th. And tomorrow is September 11th. It is the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Now, I don't interview strictly New York musicians. In fact, uh, I'd say the minority of musicians that I've interviewed have been New York musicians. But I do have several episodes that feature Broadway musicians, those who live in New York, and uh, even a lot of uh, musicians that don't live in New York now have lived in New York. And some of them have their own 9-11 stories. And uh, I thought about trying to get them. It just did not work out for the timing. But I just wanted to say this is, a, this is definitely for, for more than others. So those who lived in New York 20 years ago, this is probably... A, a traumatic anniversary. I know I've talked to people who were there, and I know how it felt for me being home in our apartment in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, uh, when I was told by my wife, you should go watch the news. Something's going on, because she had the news on where she was where she was working. And, and I did, and I turned on the television, and I um, I think I was in the bedroom, so I just turned on that television and uh, was watching after the first planes struck and the second plane struck while I was watching. And it's just one of those moments, uh, probably the first such one in my life was the Challenger explosion and um, you know the, the OJ verdict. There, there are very few moments you know in one's life where you just you'll never forget where you were when that happened. And I think for probably, you know, anybody who's under 40, that's going to be the first one in your life that you, that you have, that you remember. Um, but it was a, but it's a powerful moment. I don't care what, how old or how young you were, if you were able to, t to pay attention at the time. So I'd say like, if you're at least 25, then it is a powerful memory, but it's not the same level as if you were there in the city when it happened, uh, especially if you lost loved ones, 
in those attacks. And so I just wanted to first go ahead and just say, uh, just to acknowledge all of those who were in New York at the time, all of those in the buildings. And, you know, our thoughts are with you. And uh, I just hope this is not a very difficult anniversary for you. And if you have stories that you would like to share, you know, feel free to to send me a message. And you can do that on Instagram. Uh, You can do it on Facebook. You can also, uh, you know, go to the website, davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. There's a contact form on there. I'll be happy to to definitely read those and, um, you know, even if there's enough of them, share them in a future episode. Aside from that, I thought this would just be kind of a, look, a little bit of a journal entry from a pit musician, from, from just a perspective, just a couple of things going on, some things that some of you may relate to. And, you know, if you don't relate to it, you might find it interesting. The first one is, since I have already put this on social media under my personal accounts, then I feel comfortable saying this now. I'm one of many people I know who had a breakthrough case of COVID recently. So in the, in the last episode, you know, you, you heard me speaking at the beginning of the episode, offering the introduction before my guest came on, and I talked about how my voice was not at full strength. Well, I didn't say why that it was, but it was because I was in the midst of uh, having COVID, and I was trying to get my voice back. I think I, had, I was about on day seven since I could have contracted it, or it may have been day six. So yeah, I was right in the midst of it. And how, how my friends got it has to do with just the dangers of being a performing artist right now, vaccinated or not. Now, being vaccinated really helps, at least in my perspective, my symptoms were comparatively mild. Now, they weren't easy, and, uh, and I won't get into details of what all the symptoms were, other than I will just say, I'm glad that each one of them was not worse. <laughs> if it was, um, well, you know, I mean, we, we know what worst case scenario looks like with COVID. So I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say, I believe that the vaccination really helped. And I'm very thankful for that. And I know my friends, none of them were hospitalized. But I do want to say this real quick. This, I'm sorry, this episode may get out of the pit a few times. I may have a few general things to say. So this is more of a, I have a microphone, I'm going to say a few things, and, and I, I hope this doesn't offend any of you. Uh, but like I said, if this is not your type of episode, you know, don't worry. There are plenty of others, and there will be other episodes that talk about the pit. But COVID affects everybody, pit musicians included, and... So I want to go ahead and say this just because it's probably a little bit of an unpopular take, and it's not to refute what a lot of people are doing, and that is that they're sharing these statistics from their hospitals that show, let's just say, for example, there's 100 people in ICU because of COVID, and I'll say like 93% of them are unvaccinated and seven of them are vaccinated. And the main point of that should be, and it is, 
you should get vaccinated because it decreases your chance of being in the ICU. And, uh, and I often see people with good intention sharing it, and that's, that's the exact point that they say. And the fact they'll even sometimes, uh, with a very preachy statement, say, get vaccinated, several exclamation points, which I don't really think that is, is going to persuade a lot of people who have decided not to. I, I think it is a good reason for you to get vaccinated. But I also want to point out the flip side of that. It's, it's not zero vaccinated. It's, it's seven. Sometimes it's eight, nine, or ten out of a hundred people in ICU. On, and sometimes even on ventilators when they are vaccinated. What that tells me is vaccination is not 100% safety. And as I and several of my friends know, you can get COVID even when you are vaccinated. And now I didn't finish my, my story. I don't think I got it the way my friends got it. Um, and, and I didn't finish their story either. The theater where this occurred now requires masks. Uh, rehearse, performers will rehearse in masks and uh, every performance will require proof of vaccination uh, from audience members or a negative test within the past 48 hours. So that is uh, that is the precautions they have taken, and you know I definitely applaud them for that. For me, I'm not going to say how I think I got it, but it, I believe it was not from theater. Just due to the timing of the situation and where I was and how I might have gotten it. So I just wanted to throw that out there. But back to those charts. Yes, so out of 100 people that are in the ICU, 7 to 10 are, are sometimes people who are vaccinated. And there are deaths among these people. So if you are trusting the vaccination only, then you are playing a bit of roulette. So what I, what I have decided since I came down with COVID and since I've gotten over it is that based on the data, I think it's good to say that there are three things you can do. Two are good. Three would be best. And that is vaccination, wearing a mask, and social distancing. So w without just completely cutting off your life, it's going to be hard to do all three. But if you think about it, you can do two of three. First of all, you get vaccinated and you have one of the three. If you're not going to be vaccinated, then you need to social distance and wear a mask always. In, in other words, wear a mask and don't get close to anybody. But if you are vaccinated, then you can do one of the other. You can get, you don't have to wear a mask if you're not that far away, if you're outside, um, if the conditions are good. Or if you can get close to somebody, you can get closer than six feet if you're vaccinated and you're wearing a mask. Now, maybe statistics will prove me wrong and, and even some breakthrough cases can come as far as that goes. But, you know, that's just, I just want to get that out there. And I feel comfortable putting that out there because the, the number of people not doing that makes me nervous for some future gigs. I already have a, a good friend who said that they've they've canceled a show coming up. And it wasn't all due to COVID, but I think it's safe to say that if that was not a thing right now, if that was not a factor, then that show would still be going on. So 
I feel like that is something that I can say. Pit musicians and other performers, musicians and actors of all venues, they need to get back to work. And if you are making a decision that's prolonging the pandemic, then that is that is affecting livelihoods. And I just want I just want to say, look look at the data, look at actual evidence when making your decision. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to share is uh, I've alluded to this before. I I have been asked to be a substitute on keyboard two for an upcoming Broadway tour, and I'm really excited because. That is going to be my very first one. Um, I've talked to some guests before who've done this, and uh, and I'm really excited to have this opportunity to finally do that. Well, um, in addition to that, I've I've said yes to music directing for a local college that I've uh, done some work for before. That's in 2022. I've also with local community theater going to be uh, reprising for one weekend. Uh, always the Patsy Cline show, uh, and that'll be in the first week of October. And then right after that, I'm going to be doing this Broadway tour. Um, I know for a fact that I'm going to be uh, doing two rehearsals, and I will find out during those rehearsals which shows I will be expected to play. The union rules associated with it apparently means that I will be guaranteed to play at least once a week, Uh, possibly more depending on what the principal player wants to do. But it's a three-week run. And I'm going to get at least three performances. I'm going to go ahead and just say, I'm excited, but I'm also nervous. And part of what makes it nervous is that I haven't done a lot of shows where even though my standards for excellence are pretty high, I haven't done a lot of shows where that is held accountable by people other than myself. Fact is, a lot of community theater shows, they're happy. They're, They're very grateful when you do a good job. Um, If you miss some notes or play some notes that are different than, say, the cast recording, uh, I think more community theaters than not will. I don't think that that's a big deal. It might be a little deal, but I don't think that's going to be a huge deal with a lot of community theaters. As you get higher up, especially when you're doing a popular show as this one is, the, the expectation is that you need to play it well. You need to also sound as close to the principal as a substitute as you can. It needs to sound like you don't have a different person playing. So I'm, I'm nervous. It's not, a, it's not an easy book. It's not the hardest book I've played. But uh, I just want to just talk about how I'm managing that. So first of all, I'm not waiting till the last minute. I've got the book in advance. I am sight reading the book right now and taking notes of the places that I don't think I can confidently play without further practice and just kind of ranking them. Does it need just some more times going over to get familiar with it? Or do I really need to dissect it to be able to play it well? So there's some things where there's some rhythms between the hands that aren't as intuitive. And so I've made some notes of those. And some of the things that I do, and and this is some of the things that I teach my students. First of all, slow down. So there's a tempo that I have to get it to. Well, that is not the tempo that I have to start practicing it. So I will take it to the tempo where I can play it with 100% accuracy. And if I start to play it and I miss a note, then I'll start over. I will play it 100% correctly. Then I will do it again. And I kind of have a five time minimum, five times in a row minimum, playing it correctly at any tempo. 
if I play it four times correctly and then I miss the fifth one, guess what? The count starts over. And so I have to get it five times in a row correctly. Then I will either take a metronome and allow myself to ease the tempo forward, or I will do some different rhythms with it, like some long, short possibilities. So like instead of even notes, one note will be a little longer, the next will be a little faster. And this is a good way of practicing because of what you do on the longer notes. You, you're stopping, you're thinking about what are the next really two notes you're going to play, the quick one and the long one, because you're going to rush to that second note. And this is something that I tell a lot of my students. Slow practice is not like a video in slow motion. It's more like a video at full speed where you keep pressing pause. So everything you play is quick, but on those longer notes, you have these moments where you are paused. You don't move physically at all. Your brain is allowed to move, though. Your brain is allowed to anticipate, to visualize. But then when you physically move full speed, press the key, in my case, at full speed, lift the wrist, shift, uh, it goes full speed. If there's a trill, if there's a grace note, any kind of ornamentation, that goes at full speed. The only thing that is slower at, at any point might be the speed of the click. So if, the, if I'm supposed to be playing at 140 beats a minute, I might be at a slow tempo playing at 70 beats a minute even slower than that, and maybe even hearing the eighth note click. But I don't relax at that tempo. I play full speed into the keys and take the in-between the beat times to pause, think, go. The reason this is helpful is because it physically gets you used to the speed, and what happens is you mentally get faster at making the decision of what fingering, what note, what position of your hands... And as the tempo speeds up, if you do it gradually, you actually relax into it more. It starts to look like you, you play this with a bit of ease. Whereas if you slow that down and play this way, it actually looks like you're really hyper-focused and super alert. I will also uh, use what I call practicing backwards, which, uh, you know, it always amuses students because they imagine that, you know, we're, we're going to start and play from right to left. We're going to like play it in reverse. <laughs> but no, that's not what that means. Uh, let's say that it is a four measure section that you're working on. I will begin with measure number four and I'll work that out, get some speed on it, get really comfortable, and then I'll slow down. And if I can, I will go back to the beginning of measure three and I will play to the end of the section. I'll play through the fourth measure that I just played. If I'm not quite ready to go to the beginning of measure three, I'll go to the middle of measure three. I'll find the spot where I feel like I can slow down, I can add this, go to the end, and then speed it back up. And then I'll work my way into measure two, and I'll take that to the end. And then finally, once that's going pretty well, I'll go to measure one, and I will work that to the end. One of the benefits of that is it's it's better than doing it the other way, of taking measure one, getting it, and then measure two, and then measure three, and then measure four. And the main reason for this is because by playing from the end, you get this forward momentum that happens once you play it regularly. So let's just say that I spend 10 times practicing measure four, and then I back up to measure three, and then two, and then one, with kind of a similar situation. Well, by the time I played measure one 10 times, 
I've played measure two 20 times, I've played measure three 30 times, and I've played measure four 40 times. It's getting better and easier as I go, and that helps me to relax. I know what's coming up. It's it's like one, one of the fun things I always love to share um, you know, because, you know, I, I'm just that age where when I started driving by myself and going on trips, I did not have GPS for probably the first, uh, I don't know, 15 years. And I actually loved getting a, a map, a fold-out map or a book. And the way I would always find it is I would find where I'm going on the map and then I would find where I was starting from on the map. And the way I would get there is not by going from my house, but to take the destination and work back to my house and just see. And that was just an easier way of doing it. So you start with the destination in mind. And so practicing this way is very efficient. You're not just starting at the beginning and let's just see how you go. But no, let's actually... Uh, after you've got an idea of what's going on, let's start at the end of of a at least you know not the whole piece. Hopefully, not the whole piece. Hopefully, your your level is better than that. But start at the end of a troublesome section and find your way back to your starting point. That's kind of the same idea, and this works for a lot of musicians. And uh, this is how I'm preparing this show. And what I find is, you know, probably 10 to 20% of the book are places I'm going to have to work out like that. Uh, probably about 30 to 40% of the book are places that I'm just going to have to play through just a few times. I'm not going to have to do anything special. Just need to go through it, get used to it. And the rest are places that I should be able to, I mean, that I did. I played really well the first attempt. So the odds are, that as long as I am concentrating while I'm performing and I'm not uh, taking my mind off the performance, I'm going to do well as I play. This kind of comes back to sight reading practice in between because that always helps. One of the things I found from working with students, and I've noticed it with myself too, there's the sight reading, which is the literal time that you're sight reading, where it's told that you should look ahead. If you're playing measure one, your eyes should at least be looking at measure two and uh, don't let the window close. So in other words, by the time you get to measure two, make sure you've already started looking at measure three and you got to keep that going. This is told by every good teacher as a good way to sight read. But what kind of gets overlooked is that if you're reading the music at all, if you are not playing from memory, which, uh, you know, as previous guests have said, you should not do, even if you think you can, if you are a pit musician, <laughs> use the book. And, uh, you know, go listen to my episode with Paul Perfetti if you need reminders of why that is. It wasn't wasn't too long ago. You don't have to scroll down too far. Uh, Principles of Professional Pit Musicians, I believe, is the episode title. So if you are reading the book, you have to, I don't care if it's the first time you're playing it or the 50th time that you're playing it. I personally notice a difference if my visual window closes I, I noticed this, I, I really noticed this when I was playing Next to Normal back in 2014. I was having a pretty easy time with that show, and then all of a sudden, in one rehearsal, I was not doing well. But I I was familiar enough with the book that I could allow myself to kind of get meta on this and think about the act of performing it, so kind of analyze what I was doing. And I quickly realized I was staring at the measure I was playing rather than looking ahead. So 
sight reading practice reminds you to do this. And then you remind yourself to do that when you're playing the show that you're preparing. So anyways, I am nervous about the expectations of the show, but I'm also, I am confident in my ability to prepare the book. And confidence in the end will not cure, but it will greatly alleviate anxiety. So whatever, whatever type of art you do, uh, if you're a musician or if you're a dancer or anything like that, learn how to prepare something that's new and get it to where it's something that's confident. And it's different for everybody. But practice techniques, this is something that I really highly value as a teacher. And it, it's something that really saves me as a performer. Just kind of knowing what works, what doesn't, how the brain works, how the body works especially for your particular instruments. So anyways, this was just an impromptu episode. Uh, again, I hope this was not your first episode of Life in the Pit. Uh, if, if you did, please go listen to an ep another episode so you can see what we're about. I just wanted to put something out there. And, uh, you know, just in summary, definitely my thoughts of peace with those who experienced 9-11 20 years ago in New York itself, or had any family members or friends that lost their lives that day. I want to encourage anybody who hasn't gotten vaccinated to please give it strong consideration. Base it on data rather than narrative. And if you are vaccinated, please don't think that that excuses you from other precautions. Because I can tell you that being vaccinated is not guaranteed to be enough. And then thirdly, I hope that this kind of helps give you some ideas of insight into practice as I am preparing for an upcoming show. And I will tell you more about that show as soon as we get to rehearsals and I have signed some paperwork and all that. Looking forward to it. Uh, it might be something that a lot of you can come see and I can even tell you what dates I'll be playing by that time that that will be about a month from now. So actually a little, little under a month from now, be about uh, three and a half weeks. Anyways, uh, I'm, I'm going to be working on an, another episode. I don't know if I'll have it in two weeks or not. Um, I hope that I will. I hope I'll have something for you. If not late September, then definitely early October. So anyways, uh, thank you for listening. And I'm going to go ahead and end this here. Just encourage you, again, you don't have to rate this episode, but if you know the good work that we do here at this podcast, if you haven't already, please give it a five-star rating and review wherever you are. And uh, again, if you have some stories of 9-11 or, or practice tip, tips or anything you'd like to share, you can contact me at davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. And, um, you know, be sure to follow on Instagram and Facebook. We're also on Twitter, but um, Instagram and Facebook at Life in the Pit Pod is where definitely new content will get posted, including news of this episode and any future episodes coming up. And, uh, you know, just feel free to share with me any of your stories related to this episode, any thoughts that you had greatly appreciated. And so that is all. So I will, I will see you next time. And I hope you all have a good rest of September until we meet again.